We're in week four of our series, Relationship Restart, and this morning I want to talk to you about friendship, about friendship. Uh, recently, Evite did a survey of 2,000 adults in America, and 45% of the people surveyed said that making friends is hard for them. They have a hard time making friends. Men, by the way, no surprise, way more have a hard time making friends. In fact, I thought this was the most startling statistic that came out of the research. 50% of American adults say that they haven't made a new friend in the last five years. In the last five years, they have not made a new friend. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear a statistic like that, the first thing I think is, what about me? Have I made a new friend in the last five years? We're not talking about have you met new people in the last five years, because of course you probably have, through church, through work, through your neighborhood. But do you have someone who is a friend to you, someone that you would consider a close friend that you didn't have five years ago? You know, making friends and having friends can positively affect our lives in a lot of ways. In fact, there's research that shows that having friends can actually help your physical body, your physical health. There's a doctor, uh, her name is Alexandra Pittman. She co-leads the Mental Health Research Network at the University College in London. And she said that the physical effects of loneliness and not having friends includes increased risk of strokes and chronic physical health problems and increased mortality risk. And then she goes on to say, the physical health impacts of prolonged loneliness, being alone, have been likened to, I'm not saying they're the exact same as, but they've been likened to that of obesity, smoking, or physical inactivity. So there's a physical impact to being separated and not having meaningful friends. And when I heard her research, this is what I, this is, I don't know if you heard this, but this is what I heard. Being a little chubby and having friends, it's basically the same thing as being in shape and not having friends. So I'm trying to make lots of friends. That's kind of my, that's my health strategy. My doctor says, what are you doing to be healthy? I'm, I'm making lots of friends. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at a letter that was written by one of Jesus' closest friends. His name was Peter. And uh, Peter is writing a letter to a bunch of churches that are going through some difficult times. They are experiencing persecution. They are suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter writes this letter to give them hope to say to them, even as you endure suffering and sorrow, don't lose hope for two reasons. And the two reasons that Peter gives in 1 Peter is, number one, because there's something better coming. Look forward. The certainty of future salvation. And he reminds them over and over that Jesus is king, that Jesus reigns, that Jesus is coming, and that someday you'll be saved. And so he says, have hope. But he doesn't just say that, because that's futuristic. He also says, have hope, because there's a way right here and now that you can be experiencing God's saving promises in your life. And it's all because of what Jesus did, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so one of the ways, here's what I'm suggesting to you this morning, one of the ways that we are supposed to experience God's saving promises, one of the ways that we are supposed to experience all that God has for us is through meaningful, life-giving relationships, through friendship. And in this text together, we're going to see that friendship gives us the opportunity for three very, very important things. Let's look together at 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm reading to you from the ESV translation. Starting in verse 7, Paul, or Peter writes these words, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now look what he says in verse 8. Above all, so because our time is limited... Because the end is coming someday, because we don't live forever, above all, here's what you should do. Keep loving one another. Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Three things that friendship gives us the opportunity for. And the first one is this. Friendship is an opportunity to learn to love. Friendship is an opportunity to learn to love. Yesterday, uh, we got, just this past week, Toy Story 4 came out on DVD and Blu-ray. We grabbed it from Target. And yesterday afternoon, my, my daughters and I sat down to watch it. And if I'm honest, they watched it. I, I fell asleep for most of it. But, but uh, I woke up at the end, and uh, uh, my daughters were like, let's watch the extra features. That's always the best part of these DVDs and these Blu-rays is the behind-the-scenes footage, right? And, and so they're like, let's watch it. And so we start watching it. And in one of the behind-the-scenes footage for Toy Story 4, they interview all the different people who are responsible for the movie, uh, the animators and the storyboard people and, and anyone who worked on the movie. And they asked them about their favorite toy growing up, and they talked about toys. And one of the characters, it may have been Tom Hanks who gives the voice to the character Woody, said this, the great thing about toys is that they'll do whatever you make them do. The great thing about toys is that they'll do whatever you make them do. They got to play the way you want them to play. And if you have kids or grandkids in your lives, you see this, right? Children, you've seen kids play with toys. You've never seen the toy say to the kid, I don't want to be played with that way, right? You know, G.I. Joe doesn't want to be dressed up like this, and I don't want you to rip my arm off. Like, the toys don't say those sort of things back. They just do whatever they're told to do. And then kids go to daycare, and they make friends, and they realize friends aren't like toys. <laughs> you, friends don't do whatever you want them to do. You can control your toys, but you cannot control your friends. And yet, nobody says, well, then I'm just going to stick to my toys, forget friends. Why? Because we all know that friends, way more than toys, bring fullness into our life. They make our lives rich. They give us meaningful relationship. And here, Peter is saying friendship gives you the opportunity to love people that you can't control. To love people that aren't toys. And he said in verse 8, above all, out of everything else he could have said, above all, Keep loving one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. And you know what Peter's implying there? People are going to sin against you. There's going to be a multitude of sins, and that's why we have to keep loving each other. That's why it means to learn to love. Peter doesn't say, hey, choose once to love each other. He says keep. It's an ongoing action. How many of you have realized that you got friends in your life that sometimes they give you reasons to love you or to love them, but sometimes they also give you reasons not to love them? Sometimes they give you reasons to give up on them. And Peter's saying, you got to learn to love. And friendship is an opportunity to learn to love. Now, there's two major obstacles to learning to love, I think. Probably more, but just two this morning. Two major obstacles to friendship. The first one is this, an unwillingness to forget myself. An unwillingness to forget myself. To make every friendship about me and what I can get out of it. And here's what we do. We turn what we call friendship actually into a selfish, self-serving relationship where I'm your friend as long as you meet my needs. As long as I can get something out of you that I want and that I need and that I desire, we will remain friends. And so we look for friends who will get us in on the circles that we're outside of. We look for friends who will maybe make us look more popular, more successful at work, who will get us where we're trying to go. And when we do that, here's ultimately what we're doing. We're dehumanizing them. 
We're actually removing from them their dignity and their value and their worth as those who bear the very image of God because what we're saying is you're only as good to me as what you can give to me and what you can do for me. And we dehumanize people and we view them as commodities and assets that we can use relationally to get what we want. And in Philippians 2, chapter 3, Paul says to us, Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus and the gospels that work in your life, one of the evidences is that you're actually going to consider other people more significant than you. It doesn't, don't misunderstand. It doesn't mean they're more significant than you. It means that you're willing to consider them, their needs, their preferences before your own. And as we do that, it makes us giving, loving, selfless friends. C.S. Lewis, brilliant author, thinker, wrote a lot about friendship, a lot about love. And in his book, The Four Loves, where he talks about four different types of loves, he talks about friendship. And he actually makes a really interesting argument. C.S. Lewis says that friendship, out of all the loves, should be the least selfish of all. And the reason why he says that is because his argument is essentially this. I'll say it, and then I'll explain it. He says, the more friends you have, the more you have of each of your friends. The more friends you have, the more you have of each of your friends. And here's the example that he makes. So let's say I have these three friends. I'll call them friend number two, friend number three, friend number four. Of course, I'm friend number one is my example. But friend number two, friend number three, friend number four. And we have this friendship circle. And every now and then I think, friend number four really hogs the spotlight. If he wasn't here anymore, I would have more friend number two. And then by happenstance, friend number four gets a job on the West Coast, leaves, and now our friendship circle, when we get together, it's me, friend number two, and friend number three. And what I, think ha- what I think was going to happen was that I was going to have more of friend number two. But what C.S. Lewis suggests is that what you realize is you actually have less of friend number two because there's certain things about friend number two that only friend number four could bring out. So friend number four could make friend number two laugh in a way that you can't. Friend number four could agitate friend number two in a way that you don't. And so it's the, it's the more friends we have the more we have of each friend. And that's why friendship is a selfless love. And when it becomes a selfish love, it's a perversion of really what it's intended to be. When you are selfish, and people do get selfish and protective of friends, right? You've probably experienced this. They they, they say, this is my friend, and I want this friend all to myself. When we want them that way, what you're actually doing is you're robbing yourself of knowing everything you could know about that person. By the way, this also is one reason why it's important for us to come to church on Sundays and to be in community. Let me explain. We can't experience all of the friendship that God has for us on our own. Until I see how God blesses you, all I see is how God has blessed me. And so when we gather together on Sunday mornings and I see you responding during the singing time, by seeing your friendship with God on display, it helps me see something not just about you, but it helps me see something about God that I otherwise wouldn't see. It's the height of arrogance to think that you can know and understand everything about the friendship of God in a vacuum by yourself. This is why we need each other so much so that I can understand who is God to you? How has God helped you this week? How has God revealed himself to you this week? And as we sit together and we talk together and we do life together, I begin to get a fuller picture of God. But when I remove you from my relationships, or when I remove a relationship with you from me, I lose a sense in some way of even understanding who God is. So it's our unwillingness at times to forget ourselves and we're selfish in our friendships and we stop loving. But here's the other thing. Two obstacles, remember? Number one, an unwillingness to forget yourself. But number two, an unwillingness to wound your friend. You're not loving your friend if you are unwilling at times 
to wound them. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. That seems really sort of backwards, right? Aren't our enemies supposed to wound us? And our friends are just supposed to support us? And whatever we do, whatever decision we make, aren't our friends just supposed to say, I'm your friend and I got your back no matter what. Just go for it. Follow your heart. Do whatever you want. I'm your friend. And the Bible presents a picture of friendship that's very different. And here's the challenge. Many people are unwilling to risk the friendship to serve the friend. They're unwilling to risk the friendship to love the friend. And so even though they can see that she shouldn't be dating him and he shouldn't take that job and they shouldn't go that direction, they don't say anything because they know that if they say something, their friend, the friendship might take a hit. It might affect sort of what they got going on. And so they love the friendship more than they love the friend. And there's a way in which we can wound each other, not to kill and destroy each other, but to help each other and to serve each other. And so my question to you this morning is simply this. Who are the friends in your life that have the permission to wound you, to call you out, to say, I've noticed this about you, and I'm concerned about you? And I, I have friends in my life who at times will say to me, hey, I sense something, or I feel something, and I'm worried about you, and I'm concerned about you, and I do that for other people too. Who is that person? And, by, and you have to give them permission, by the way. You have to invite that. You know, you, there are people, because they just want everybody to know what they think about everything, they'll wound everybody. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a true friend who is, isn't just wanting to give you his or her opinion, but actually loves you and cares about you enough to tell you the truth. And none of us can see ourselves clearly enough to know everything about ourselves. The Bible says our hearts are desperately and deceptively wicked. We don't know our own hearts. So who are the people that you've said to them, hey, I consider you a friend, and one of the things I'm love, I would love for you to do as a friend is when you see me, when you see anything, you can ask any question. You can point anything out. You see something in my marriage? You see something in my parenting? You see something in me at work? You, you, and then, by the way, if they do it, you can't be defensive. You can't attack them. In fact, you really need to thank them and say, thank you that you love me enough to actually risk my feelings towards you to tell me the truth. This is how we learn to love. Secondly, this morning, friendship is not just an opportunity to learn to love. It's an opportunity to share your life, to share your life. How does friendship begin? How does it start? In the same book, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, friendship is that moment. Uh, it's, friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. That's the moment that friendship is born, when you realize you have something in common. A couple weeks ago, my family and I, we went to Beacon Skiff down in Lafayette, and I think 75% of Syracuse was there that Saturday. It was a madhouse. I waited in line for over an hour for apple fritters. If you're judging me, you've never had an apple fritter at Beacon Skiff. It was, I never afterwards regretted the wait. But I waited over an hour for an apple fritter. There were lines everywhere. There was people everywhere. It was crazy. And so as we got there and we saw how crazy it was, we were waiting by the entrance for the rest of our family to show up. And this guy who I've never seen before, I've never laid eyes on him before, I don't know anything about him, he comes walking in the entrance and he's wearing a Liverpool football club sweatshirt, which is my favorite English soccer team. I love them. He's wearing it. And I abandon my family and run to him. And I, I, I run over to him and I'm yelling and I'm like, yeah yeah, man, Liverpool, and I put my hands up, and thankfully he knew what I was talking about, and, and we slapped hands, and we talked about the game that morning, we were like, yeah, 
And then we just walked away from each other. We didn't, we didn't know each other's name. I don't know anything else about him. But C.S. Lewis is saying that's the moment that friendships are born. When you're like, you like that too? You do that also? You think that way too? Wow. And what C.S. Lewis is saying is that romantic love is different than friendship love. Now, there's components, of course, of friendship love in romantic love or else it doesn't last. But romantic love is face-to-face, two people staring at each other, and it's their fixed gaze at each other that keeps them close. But friendship love is not face-to-face, it's shoulder-to-shoulder. And it's not their fixed gaze at each other, it's their fixed gaze at something outside of them that they both love. And so the the question of friendship is not, do you love me? The question of friendship is, do you love the things I love? Now, as the friendship grows, there may be a growing appreciation and love for each other. And this is how we share life together. Now, there's a couple implications here if this is true, and I think it is. The first implication is this. When it comes to making friends, the worst thing you can actually do is run around trying to make friends. That actually pushes people away. When, when you're trying to make friends and, and that's all you're really interested in and, and, and you're just running around saying, will you be my friend, will you be my friend, that actually pushes people away. Why? Because, pe- because friendship's not face-to-face. It's shoulder-to-shoulder. So what's the best way to go around making friends? Well, go around and, and find more things that you love. Find more things that you're passionate about. Get involved in more things and position yourself shoulder-to-shoulder with more people who can have more things in common with you so you can build natural friendships. There's also a really significant implication here for the church. And it's this, what makes us a family? What keeps us shoulder to shoulder? What are we looking at that keeps us together? D.A. Carson, in his book, Love in Hard Places, he says, the church is a band of natural enemies who love each other for Jesus' sake. The church is a band of natural enemies, meaning people who wouldn't naturally connect people who wouldn't naturally do life together, people who aren't in the same season of life, who don't feel the same way about every issue out there, a band of natural enemies who are learning to love each other for Jesus' sake. What that means is if you find somebody in this church who thinks differently than you do about this world, it shouldn't be the end of your engagement because that's not what keeps you shoulder to shoulder. What keeps you shoulder to shoulder is your shared love and passion for Jesus and his mission. And as soon as we make something else more central to our community than Jesus and his mission, we're not a church, we're a club. We tend to be stingy with our lives and not share them. Um, some of you are introverts. How many of you, how many of the room you would say, I'm, a, I'm more of an introvert, kind of like I, I get energy by being alone? And how many of you are more extroverts, more extroverts like me? Yeah. So, I mean, God in his sense of humor tends to have extroverts and introverts marry each other, and then we sanctify each other for the rest of our lives. Um, but I'm an, extrovert, I, I'm an extrovert. Aaron is an introvert. I think I've said this before, but, you know, uh, extroverts look at introverts like they're projects. Like, I can fix you. Like, whatever made you so quiet and shut up inside, like, I'm the one to help you break out of that, right? So, so extroverts look at introverts like they're projects, and introverts look at extroverts like they're monsters. Like, why don't you just take a breath and read a book or something? Like, so there's very different ways of looking at, looking at life. But, but whether you're an extrovert or introvert, here's what I want to challenge you with. If you're, if you're an introvert, I know this, I'm an extrovert, so you have to take this with a grain of salt. You may not like it coming from me. But if you're an introvert, it's not an excuse to not share your life. It just isn't. Because the call to share our lives goes beyond our personality. It goes to our mission. It goes to our identity. And if you're an extrovert, here's your danger, that you'll share your life in a scattered sort of selfish, uh, not selfish, a scattered sort of shallow way that you don't actually have meaningful life given. right? That's what tends to happen. The introverts who do have relationships, their relationships tend to be deeper than the extroverts. So we all have challenges based on our personality. But either way, stinginess is not the characteristic. It's not a fruit of the spirit. 
So how do we share our lives, our space, and our time? And one of the things that friendship does for us is it shakes us out of our stinginess because friends require something from you. And that's why Peter says here, show hospitality to one another. That word hospitality means open up your life, open up your heart, open up your home. For some of you, this is the most important thing, open up your schedule. You may have to reprioritize and open up your schedule so that you can actually exercise the gift of hospitality that we're instructed to. There's a need for us to let people into our lives. It may seem safer and easier to go alone, but it's not as rich and it's not as full and it's not the life that God intended you to to have because God didn't just save you and call you to himself. He saved you and called you to each other. He's not just rescuing individuals. He's forming a people. And so this is why we need friends. There's an old saying, maybe you've heard it before, friendship multiplies joy and divides grief. Heard it before? Friendship multiplies joy and divides grief. And I think it's true. When we have great moments of joy in our life and we can share them with friends, it multiplies the joy because we get to see how happy they are and how excited they are and they get to express to us what it means to them. So friendship has a way of multiplying our joys, but friendship also has a way of dividing our grief. You know, and this is something I've learned in my life. You know, in 2017, in a season of grief of losing my dad and losing my brother, one of the things that I learned in that season of grief was I needed my friends more than ever. I needed my friends. I needed people who would check in on me. I needed people who would look out for me. I needed people who would pray for me. I needed people who would just see me and be present with me. And if I try to think of walking through that year without friends, I couldn't have got through. We're not wired to get through that. Friendship helps us carry those, those burdens. And I know, like, sometimes we think, well, out of all the relationships and love in our lives, friendship, is it that important? feels a little optional. Even evolutionary, sometimes it seems a little optional. Like, do we, if, do we really need friends to survive? And here's what I think. You know, in our life, our relationship priority is our relationship with God. And then if you're married, it's your relationship with your spouse. And then if you have kids, it's probably your relationship with your kids and then family members and friends. So friends sort of seems to be least significant. But here's what I've learned. And we're going to talk about marriage next week and parenting the following week. So we're going to get to those things. But here's what I've learned. While marriage and parenting, or if you're not married, family members, while, while that may be primary in our lives, those may be the most important relationships in our lives under our relationship with God, the secondary relationship, if we, if we want to call it that, the secondary f- relationship of friendship is what keeps things moving forward when our primary relationships start to fall apart. So when you're going through a struggle in your marriage, when you're struggling, just yesterday, Aaron and I met a couple not from this church uh, for coffee, and they just poured out their heart about something that's going on with one of their children. And we talked about this, and, they, and, and the husband specifically said, I don't have anyone to talk to about this. He didn't say I don't have any friends, but that's sort of what he was saying. And I, and I shared with them, I said, you know, the reason why friendship matters so much is because when marriage and parenting, when that's all going off the rails, friendship is that love that helps you kind of stay the path. Friendship is the love that kind of keeps you moving forward. And so we need to have friends. We need to share our life. Friendship is about sharing your life. I'll give you four real quick practical suggestions on how to share your life. Ready? They're a little bit redundant, but I'll just say them kind of four different ways. Number one, try new things. Try new things. This might seem like, what? No, I want to make friends. Why would I try new things? Because when you try new things, it gives you more opportunities to share life with new people. So go take a cooking class, right? You never had sushi? Go eat sushi with some people, me in particular, right? Uh, you know, you, you, you've, never, you've never signed up for uh, a gym, you've never, whatever it is, try something new this year that you've never done before because it's going to put you in position to meet new 
people. Number two, keep learning. Never stop learning. Read broadly. Know what's happening in this world and read interesting things so that when you do get to meet people, you have something to say and you have something to contribute to the conversation. Number three, say yes to new opportunities. Instead of being a person who always says no, unless it violates your conscience or your faith, be a person who says yes to opportunities. Hey, do you guys want to come over? Yes, we want to come over. Inside, no, I really don't. But I'm going to say yes to this opportunity because I'm committed to sharing my life and making friends. And then number four, if you don't have to do things alone, don't do them alone. Stop doing them alone. Whatever it is, grocery shopping, go into the laundromat, start inviting people to go with you. Just say, hey, you want to come along? If you don't have to go alone, don't go alone. And men, we're the worst at this. We're the worst at this. 25% of men, according to the same survey, said they have no friends. No one that they would consider a friend. No one that they can talk to. And I think it's because we kind of, in our mentality, we're like, we'll do it on our own. Unless it's a crisis or unless I don't know how to do it, I'm just going to do it. And women, generally speaking, tend to be better at this. Even at a young age, they realize that even going to the bathroom is not something you do alone, right? I was like, you just go, you just, you just, you do life together. We don't do that, do we? I've never in the office said to Jason, <laughs> hey, nature calls, how about you? You know, like, I got I to gotta go to the bathroom. You want to you go? You want to go? We got three stalls in there. You take a stall, we'll take a stall, and we'll leave an extra stall. <laughs> We don't think that way, and we're not wired that way necessarily, but, but if we don't make an effort to say, I, wanna, I don't want to go to lunch alone. I don't want to take my lunch break alone. I want to see if someone at work will sit with me, will join me. I want to do things with other people. It positions us to share our lives. Okay, last thing this morning. Friendship is an opportunity to serve each other, to serve each other. Peter said, as each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. It's a really interesting verse because here's what I think Peter is saying. Peter is saying that if you're not stewarding the gift that God has given you, if you're not using the gift that God has given you to serve others, then you're actually in some way rejecting the grace that's available to you. There's grace that comes with the gift. Let me say that again. There's grace that comes with the gift. And when you don't use the gift to serve others or you use the gift to serve yourself, then there's a, there is a way in which you're not receiving all of the grace of God that is available for you. So what do we do in friendship when it comes to serving each other? Number one, we encourage each other to know our gifts and use our gifts. When's the last time you said to somebody, I see a gift in you? The last time you said to a friend, I see something great about you. You probably don't see this about yourself. I mean, I see the way that you make people feel when you talk to them. I see the way that you pay attention. I see the way that you love your kids. I see the way that you care about your work. I see this, I see that. Seeing those gifts in our friends and encouraging them to use those gifts. Do you know your friend's gifts and do you encourage them? But then also, how do we use our gifts for each other? How are we uniquely serving each friend? Serving each other. One of the surest ways to make friends is not just to serve each other, but to serve with each other to serve together. In my experience in youth ministry, I was a youth pastor for 12 years. We try to get teenagers to work together and to like each other so hard. And we take them on trips and we take them to amusement parks and we do all this stuff. But nothing knit community quicker than them serving together in a soup kitchen or on a missions trip. As they stood shoulder to shoulder and they did something with their faith and they served. You think about it, it's the serving together that connects. Think, if, if after church ends here in a few minutes, you go down and you, get, you go over wherever, Olive Garden, you grab, you, you sit down for lunch, no one sits down at the Olive Garden and looks around at all the other people sitting around and goes, these are all my friends. Unless you're a creep. <laughs> these, are all, these are all my friends. 
What do you mean they're your friends? Well, well, look how much we have in common. We're all here. We all like subpar Italian food. We're, 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 we're all here. We're all, we're all eating. Look at us. We're all enjoying our breadstick and our salad. We're, we're all consuming together. So we're, why? You're not friends with the people you consume with. You're friends with the people you serve with. You know who the friends are at Olive Garden? It's the waiters and the waitresses who go to work together and serve together and talk to each other in the, ki- in the kitchen and, and share their problems with each other and complain about bad tippers to each other and, and clear each other's tables for each other because it's serving together. Now let me just bring this home. If you walk into this church on Sunday mornings only to consume, these aren't your friends. You don't make friends by sitting together, driving into the same parking lot, walking to the same building, sitting in the same room, singing the same songs, hearing the same message. That stuff's all valuable. I'm not saying it's not, but that's not how you move into friendship, not by consuming, but by serving together. That's why we think it's so important that people here serve, people get involved, join teams, find a place to be a part of what's happening here. Because the church becomes the church when we move from being consumers to contributors and being those who serve. Now, let me finish with this summary. And one final thought, friendship is an opportunity to learn to love, to share your life, and to serve each other. And here's, my, here's what I want to leave you with. Let's, let's think about for a second who wrote these words again. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends in the inner circle, Peter, James, John, the three who were closest. In John chapter 13, Jesus pulls his friends together for dinner. It's the last dinner. It's the last supper. It's the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed on. And the next day he'll go to the cross and he'll give his life for Peter. He pulls his friend. In John 13 it says this. Jesus, knowing that the hour was near. Anytime you see the word hour, the hour in the Gospel of John, it's speaking of the cross. Jesus, knowing that the cross was near, he determined to love his friends to the end. To love them to the end. Jesus, you know what I think that means? I think it means that even Jesus on some level as a human had to learn to love. He had to learn to love Peter. Listen, if you know the story of Peter, he gave Jesus a lot of reasons not to love him. These disciples were not very easy men to love, but Jesus learned to love them. He saw the gift in Peter way before Peter saw the gift in himself. He loved Peter. He shared his life with people, with Peter, and then he served Peter. And how did he serve Peter in John 13? He did something shocking. Jesus, the master, the rabbi, wraps himself up like a servant, gets a bowl of water, and begins to wash their feet. And whose feet does he wash first? Peter. When something like that happens, I think you remember it the rest of your life. And I think for the rest of Peter's life, he remembered that moment when Jesus loved him to the end, shared his life with him, and served him. And that same night, while Peter's feet were probably still drying off, Jesus said these words, He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and that you should bear fruit and that the fruit that you bear should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus is saying, I don't call you servant anymore because a servant doesn't know the heart of the master. I call you friend because I want you to know my heart. And this is how important friendship is to Jesus, that Jesus would choose you and he would call you and he would appoint you to be his friend and he would invite you into this friendship. You think friendship isn't a big deal. Friendship was a big deal to Jesus. 
The next day, Jesus walked to the cross. He suffered and he died in our place. Why? So that we could be changed from enemies of God to friends of God. Enemies of God, objects of his wrath, to children of God, to those that he loves, to those who know his heart. And if this is what Jesus did, think of the lengths that Jesus went to to make you his friend. Here's what it can do for our hearts. It'll motivate us to go to any length to make each other friends. Every stranger is just a friend you haven't made yet. Every person out there is just someone who needs a good friend, a friend who will love them, a friend who will share their life with them, and a friend who will serve them. That's the friendship that we're invited into. Let's pray together this morning.